Welcome to Protect What's Yours, a podcast from Marcelino and Tyson, providing timely insight into legal issues for your personal and professional needs. Join us for in-depth discussions inside our practice areas of family law, business and employment, ERISA disability, civil litigation, bankruptcy, and more. At Marcelino and Tyson, we're focused on protecting the interests of our clients and providing the outcomes they deserve. It's time to take the fear and uncertainty out of your legal situation. Hello, everyone. My name is Megan Becker, and I'm the business development director here at Marcelino and Tyson. So we all know 2020 has not been what we've expected at all. COVID-19 has completely turned our world upside down in every aspect. It's already a very difficult year for everyone, but what can be even more difficult is trying to navigate the constraints of child custody, visitation, and of course, virtual learning, which many parents are facing currently. So today I'm sitting here with attorneys Matt Marcellino and Giovanna Mastro as they talk through some of the main concerns parents today are facing in regards to custody during COVID-19. Good morning, Giovanna. Good morning. So we're talking about a bunch of family law stuff during the middle of COVID, right? Yep. How often do you get questions about COVID-related family law matters with regard to child custody? All the time. People are trying to navigate in this new crazy world that we're living in, and that includes their custody order because, you know, most of our clients can't agree already, and then this just makes it more difficult. What do you think is the top question that you've been getting? We've been on lockdown since March 2020. Mm -hmm. It's going into 2021. But what do you think is the top question that you've been getting? Well, of course, everyone wants to make sure their child is safe, whether, I mean, that really is their concern or not. (laughs) That's what they say that it is. So keeping the child safe, keeping the child away from COVID, keeping the child away from being exposed to COVID, especially when they're with the other parent, that's been one of the main topics that we've gotten. Yeah, I agree. I, we get that question a lot. And, and what I always say is, you know, regrettably, you don't know unless the, the child's like with you at home, right? Or in your custody. You have no idea what's going on at the other parent's house. But you didn't know that before COVID, right? So when the question is, I don't know if my child's safe, I think I always go a step further. It's like, but how's that related to COVID? Because otherwise, it's already been determined through court order when everyone's been deemed to be fit and proper, right? Right, exactly. Once you then say, well, then the client will say something to the effect of, or this hypothetical client would say something to the effect of, well, I'm worried about my kid being exposed to COVID at the other parent's house. And the question is, well, why? What right. is that other parent doing that's giving you some concerns? And how have you been handling that? Right. And a lot of people as well have elderly parents or high-risk people in their families. And we've seen a lot of that too. Well, I don't know what they're doing at the other parent's house, but they can't come back to my house if they're exposed to neighborhood kids or all these people, because then we have elderly grandfather or sickly stepfather or something like that. Yeah. I think it comes down to, which would probably be the overall theme of this conversation is just communication between the parents. Say like, well, what are you doing at your house? Are you an essential worker? Have you been going out to the bars till 10 PM? What have you been kind of up to? And and hopefully everyone's like using rational logic and, and how they go about their daily lives, you know, mass hand sanitizer and whether or not they have the ability to work remote, et cetera. And then being open about it. And, and if you start to feel like rubbish, immediately contact the other parents and say, hey, I'm going to go and get tested or I just don't feel well, which leads into the kind of the next question, which is, can I not hand my child over to the other parent for fear of COVID or because of whatever the circumstances might be? 
or do I have to? Right. And that's, that's the one that always kind of follows up for me, which is, am I allowed to not take my kid over to the other parent's house because of COVID or my fears of COVID? And what have you been saying to that? I've been telling all my clients, unless the order says otherwise, we still have to follow the custody order as much as we can. Otherwise, you can get held in contempt. And if you don't have an emergency or a very valid reason to withhold custody, you need to follow that order. And that includes exchange times. But again, it goes back to communication. Things might need to change now because of COVID. And we'll get into it later, but virtual schooling and all the changes that it's brought. But I tell my clients, you know, you still have this custody order in place. A judge will still hold you to that. And so you need to follow it to the best of your ability. Yeah. I mean, because Governor Cooper's order from day one has said that Governor Cooper here in North Carolina, his order has said that custody exchanges is still essential travel. So when they broke down between essential workers who was allowed to actually be out running around doing their job versus those who could not, and then those who could be traveling or the reasons why you could travel, such as going to the grocery store, child custody exchanges per court order or even an agreement between the parties was deemed permitted travel. That's always been the case. Right. And I practice in South Carolina as well. And that's the same for South Carolina. I mean, custody exchanges are not exempt from that stay-at-home order originally. Then after that, they they always say, well, and I think you hit on it. It's like, well, what happens if I decide to not do it? And it's a two-part question. It's like, well, do you have a court order or do you have like a separation agreement or Mm -hmm. a parenting arrangement agreement? And if you have a court order, it's the answer is you better do it. You can most certainly be held in contempt unless you have very good reasons like you hit on emergency circumstances, which are always dependent upon the circumstances. My definition of what's a true emergency might very well be different than even yours or most certainly clients. Oh, absolutely. So it's like, well, you know, maybe that's a good time to give your attorney a phone call and say, here's my concerns, and then kind of go from there. We were talking yesterday about that case out in Florida, right, where Mm -hmm. mom and dad had a custody order, and I think the mom was a, an ER doctor, like in close proximity with COVID patients. And the dad went and said, hey, I, I want to change up custody because of COVID and my concerns about infection and all that sort of stuff for the child and myself. And the court in Florida said, sure. And to our knowledge that, you know, that's still the case that, his, that the doctor's custody has been temporarily suspended. You know, he's just doing everything by Zoom uh, mm-hmm. because of his job. Now, I've run across attorneys in town filing motions, emergency motions based on COVID twice. Neither of them have succeeded. Neither of them dealt with an ER doctor though, but neither of them have succeeded simply, you know, limited to the potential exposure of somebody doing their job. These guys weren't, they're not doctors. They were doing something different. Have you run across where any of the attorneys either in North Carolina or or South Carolina have tried to say, "Mm, you know what, we're going to file an emergency motion based on some type of COVID concern? Not me specifically. I've heard of a couple, and I think it was right when it started that everyone's like, hey, when they heard about that case in Florida, they're like, oh, let's try that here. But from what I've heard, it did not hold a lot of weight with our judges in North Carolina or South Carolina. So then the attorneys kind of stopped doing that. And I haven't gotten another case. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think I've I've had that question in in maybe a couple of months. Mm -hmm. It was definitely a hot topic on the front end. Oh, absolutely. And well, there is a lot of clients that would come to me and say, hey, my former spouse is not following the COVID guidelines. I had people that were trying to go out. I had people inviting people over on dating apps when the children were home. I had a lot of those type of things, but not so much that they wanted to completely withhold or 
no, they were just concerned about the other person's actions. What did you do with that? I, I haven't had the, my ex is playing with Tinder and inviting people over to the house while the kid's over there. I haven't had that one. But how did you handle that? We filed a motion for, in South Carolina, they have emergency and expedited relief, but they're used for different things and the standards are super different. But we ended up filing a motion for emergency relief and said that, you know, the guy was inviting these girls over from Tinder. We had the conversations and we ended up resolving it, but that was one of the basis for our, our motion. Is that like a restraining order? Kind of like enjoining them from doing something, preventing them from continuing to act a certain way? Well, that's what we were trying to get. Okay. Cause that wasn't in our original order. Cause that wasn't something that we anticipated that yeah. there would be a shutdown and then he would still continue to be on Tinder. Tell you what, that social media addiction, it's crazy, right? Oh, yeah. Got to do that. The thing that's been coming up lately, currently, follow the court order if you have one. If you think that there's a reason why you shouldn't call a lawyer, preferably, or roll the dice on your own, but you could be subject to contempt. It sounds like the same in South Carolina mm-hmm. as in North Carolina. And otherwise, just know that you know custodial exchanges and so forth are permitted travel and have been since March. But now, because back in, I've got a, now a first grader, and she was in kindergarten during that March to June time period. So virtual schooling was a little bit different now here, in, in, at least in Charlotte and throughout the state. But every county in North Carolina is apparently doing this a little bit differently. But we've got virtual schooling, and that started back in August. And, and then trying to figure out how does that impact custody? Because that's a big question is like, because A, virtual schooling has been very difficult for everyone. You mm-hmm. know, the teachers are doing a great job dealing with a very difficult situation, so are the parents. But, but it's also like, well, how is this going to jive with a custodial arrangement? You know, and, and have you been getting those phone calls? I most certainly have been. Curious to know if you've been getting the same. Yes, absolutely. I think a big thing for people or is in the orders, the custody exchange spot is school. And it's a good neutral spot. They don't have to interact with each other that often because, you know, they just know when the child goes to school that day, they're going to go home with the other parent. But now when they're doing virtual school at home, they're confused and they don't want to see the other person. So it's caused a lot of problems and we no longer have a set time point for the exchange to happen. So whereas the exchange may have said in the order after school, now a parent's trying to keep the child till 7 p.m. at night. And I think a lot of people are struggling with that, especially my clients. (laughs) Yeah. The exchange location, like at a school or sometimes regrettably at a police station, right, are really for high conflict cases where mom and dad just well, it could also be because of a work schedule mm-hmm. issue, but they typically just don't want to cross paths. And it's just healthier for everybody, including the child. But in circumstances where it's like, you know, non-custodial picks up from the custodial parent's house, the question is, well, if there's a specific time in the court order, right, at X time, how's that being played with virtual schooling, such as if the drop-off, right? If one parent is responsible for it, to your point, one parent is responsible for, you know, essentially putting the kid on the school bus to go to school, well, they're in virtual schooling. And if that's the day, the exchange period, right? So once you place the child on the school bus and say, all right, I love you. I'll see you whenever the next time is. You're now mom's responsibility. Now that you're on the school bus, there is no school bus for the most part. So it's kind of like, well, once virtual schooling starts at 8 or 9.45 or 9 or whatever it is, it's like, well, does that mean I need to be dropping the child off at mom's house for her to be handling virtual schooling or what other arrangements have we made? And honestly, that's the question I get a bunch, which is like, what do we do now? Because it's virtual schooling. And my, my response is, you got to talk to the other parent. Like the court order, obviously no one anticipated this. No. So you have to kind of say, well, all right, if, if school starts at 7.30 a.m., should we, 
as parents, be exchanging our, our kids at 7 a.m. at the other parent's house? Or do we need to make different arrangements? Do we need to kind of change the custody time? Same amount of time, but just maybe move it back to the night before and then move it ahead on the, the initial drop-off, right? So if it's like a Friday to Monday morning, maybe it's like a, a Thursday night, and then you, you hang out with your kid on virtual Friday, do you exchange on Sunday night to avoid that 7 a.m. drop-off or, or whatever the issue might be for virtual schooling? You just kind of have to have that dialogue. And that's kind of what I've been telling people. Right. And these parents need to take into consideration the needs of their children. I mean, if you have a child that takes an hour to get ready, mentally prepared for school and get in front of the computer ready to learn, that night before exchange might be best. Yeah. Whereas it's selfish to say, oh, I want that couple extra hours at night. And then in the morning, it's a huge turnover to get them focused and ready for school and dressed. Turnover is an understatement. That's a really good point. Like in that's something I'm going to be bringing up is how long does it take a rugrat to get up and running? I mean, my son is immediately awake at roughly 6 a.m. every single day and he's got tons of energy and he can roll into anything. Whereas my daughter is a little bit more like maybe me. Where it's like it takes a little bit longer to get going, maybe a little coffee, you know. And if and if you know that that transition into their normal life is an hour, well, you don't want to be dropping them off at mom's house it's 30 minutes before kickoff time for school. That's a good point. So once you have this dialogue, then the question I've been getting is, well, but the court order doesn't say that. And you had previously told me that if I don't exchange when the order says I have to exchange, that I might be held in contempt. So that's the question I've been getting, which is the follow, which is a logical question. Right. But my response is, look, I'm not telling you to violate a court order, but I'm also telling you that I think we're going to have a lot of latitude to do what's best for the kids. And so therefore, if, if the exchange time does not make sense, the 7 a.m. thing or whatever it might be, then you need to, you need to make a correction to that, right? And, and you can do that. I don't think any judge is going to say that you're, especially if it's by agreement of the parties. Right? Exactly. We encourage our clients all the time. Hey, if you can agree to do something else, that's perfectly fine. You can do whatever you want. It's when you can't agree is when the court order you fall back on and you need to follow it, but you can always agree to do whatever works for you and your children. Yeah. Because that's the same thing I tell them. And then I do that, that lawyer caveat, which is, but just understand that subsequent agreements between the parties doesn't supersede the court order. So you can't go back and say, well, we agreed, and then he or she backed out because whatever. Well, that's the way it goes. The court order controls no matter the circumstances. But hopefully in this scenario, people are going to say, all right, I understand. I mean, I have to exchange my kids. That's the, that's the, the blanket rule, like barring true emergencies. And then with regard to the actual timing of the exchanges and the locations, that's where the parents need to be working with one another. Definitely. And then the other question that rolls in after that is... I don't believe it's a nefarious sort of uh, motive or question, but it's like, let's say that the other parent is unable to assist with virtual schooling, right? And therefore, they have to change the custodial arrangement. They have a conversation. They say, all right, instead of this 50-50 arrangement, it needs to be more in dad's column because dad works from home, whereas mom doesn't or something to that extent. So you have to actually change up the custodial arrangement because there's not childcare or what have you, right? but the child needs to be going to virtual school. So they change up the entire custodial arrangement. And then you get the question of, if I do that, do I then get to go to court later and change it permanently? And I don't think that some, I mean, some people might be trying to do that. It might be the, the, an initial intent, but it's also a logical question, I think. Right. And that's where it's been going. Once we go down this line of this, what appears to be a routine conversation these days is, well, can then I turn around and, and change the, the custodial arrangement because of what we're doing now? 
that's a much bigger conversation. You know, we're talking about typically a permanent order. Right. Try to modify it. And I mean, I have to remind people all the time that the law still is what it is. The standard will always and is now whether there's a substantial change in circumstances. So you have to prove that because of COVID, there is now a substantial change that it's in the best interest of your children to modify this custody schedule. And I don't know if people are going to be able to prove that this temporary virtual schooling is a substantial change that warrants a modification. That's where they would have to prove that to the court in order to get that. And I, I don't know. I mean, some situations may and some may fall short, but yeah. I don't think that that's the end all be all reason to modify custody, though. Agreed. The other thing that I've been telling people is because we don't know, there might be other circumstances at play with this uh, temporary change in this custodial arrangement because of COVID's impact on virtual schooling and so forth. At the same time, it's, I've also told people, it's like, look, at some point in time, you may go to court and you're saying, I want to change, I want to take this time away that was historically with the other parent because we did this temporary virtual schooling thing. And you have to think about your judges and you have to think about like, how am I going to articulate to the, that to the court that doesn't honestly piss them off possibly, right? Because we're all going through this pandemic together and you got to be careful if you're going to show up and say, because of this pandemic, I want to change the custodial arrangement. Be real careful with that. The same with like possibly withholding because of COVID, right? It goes back to, you always got to present this to the court. And is that really the, what else do you have in your pocket to play for a modification? except for this, right? In addition to this thing. And that's kind of the, what I've been kind of warning people is like, I hear you, but is that what we want to say to a judge if there's not an agreement to actually change it? Right. I think they need to have a really good reason besides COVID to change or want to change things because using COVID as an excuse, where I think some people may have some valid reasons, but just using COVID to your advantage to get a, a right. one up on your custody case yeah. is probably not advisable. I mean, because especially some people live in different school districts. Mm -hmm. Some people have attempted to leave the state, right, to go to states that allow in-person schooling. We both run across that one. <laughs> you run the, the, the different end of that right. than I was. But you have like some folks, but you got to understand when you're talking about moving a child from one district to another, right? So they've historically gone to middle school X and now, well, but they're virtual. So they can do this middle school X wherever. So they're, now they're at mom's house or whatever it might be. I keep saying mom's house. Now they're at dad's house and dad is in another middle school. So he's at middle school Y because of his district, right? But he's still doing the middle school X homework and everything. But to then later ask and say, let's modify custody so that the child is now in my school district, essentially. It's not simply because, well, he's been with me. The child's been with me for this amount of time. Now you're getting into this you know, pseudo relocation sort of case which is why you and I were saying like, you better show up with really good support as to why you want to modify that because the child's probably grown up at middle school X with all of his friends right? and his teachers and his doctors might be, you know, a, there's a lot of stuff that is in that district and you're essentially trying to essentially remove the child and place them into another area of, of either the county or possibly the state simply because of COVID and the virtual learning, right? Because it's, we're able to do it anywhere, really. Right. And again, have reasons to back that up. I mean, if your child did virtual school last year and it, they failed every class and it didn't work for them and they got super depressed and wouldn't get out of their room and wouldn't put on clothes, that would be a good reason to have a child go to another school district where they are in person and they can interact with friends and have that social involvement as well instead of just staying in their room. And that's kind of what I dealt with in the case where we had a relocation to another state so that the child could go to school in person. Yeah. 
I think the last question I've been getting about, it's not so much associated with virtual learning. Well, it's actually not at all. I mean, it kind of starts that way, but it's the upcoming vaccinations, right? So, well, upcoming. So these vaccinations we're hearing about that we should be getting maybe in the next anywhere between, you know, three days and 10 years, who knows? But ultimately, when they start handing these things out, then the question becomes, well, does my child have to be vaccinated? And that's just been a question that's been going on for buku times. Oh, yeah. There's anti-vaccination folks and there's people that are you know, obviously in favor of it and some schools require it, right? Most schools require at least like MMR, mumps, measles, rubellum and flu and all that sort of stuff. And, but then the question becomes, well, this is, you know, I think this is going to be different though, right? So those vaccines have been around for a long time. They were tested for decades before they even like turned over to the public. This thing was created in less than a year. And I think everyone's kind of partly like, well, are we going to be the guinea pig on this thing? Right. You know, and, <laughs> Is that something I want my child to be subject to? And mom and dad might have a very different opinion on that. Understandably so. That goes back to what is it? The court order. Regrettably, legal custody is who gets to make the decisions, and that includes medical decisions. So if the if the court order says mom and dad shall split legal custody, meaning they really can't make a decision without the other one, well then you're you're at an impasse, right? So you either got to go to mediation or file some type of motion or try to figure something out. The other side of the coin is, you know, you might be sharing legal custody, but somebody might have the final decision-making authority with regard to medical decisions. And if you're, if the person with the legal authority or has the decision-making ability is anti-vaccines, well, the other parent's pretty much toast, right? Exactly. You know, you're going to have to file a motion and ask for assistance to say, hey, I get it, but I think my son or daughter needs this vaccine. But Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to be that simple because we're still talking about a court order and you talked about it about 10 minutes ago. The only way to modify these court orders, the permanent orders, by substantial change in circumstance, are courts going to start thinking that the availability of vaccines might be considered a substantial change as it relates to legal custody? Obviously, we're not there yet, but I think there's going to be a lot of people trying to do that. Right. That's super interesting. That's going to, I think it's going to cause a whole lot of tried modifications cases just because I think people are going to be on complete opposite sides of the spectrum with that, especially with the whole guinea pig idea. And then you're going to have these judges, we've got 100 counties in North Carolina, right? And district court judges are going to, the question will be, you know, am I just going to follow the law? Well, I guess it, that's a subjective question, right? But, but am I going to follow the law and say, well, look, the rule is there's got to be a substantial change, right? If mom gets the final decision-making authority, that's it. And regrettably, if something bad happens, then you probably got grounds to modify because somebody made a bad decision, right, theoretically. But there also, you know, could be judges that are like, well, look, this is a big deal. This isn't a getting braces. This is, a, this is a big deal. And they may take it upon themselves based on you know, that guiding star principle of the best interest of the child and say, look, we need this vaccine and allow for some type of exception to the court order without modification, right? Because somebody just filed a motion for judicial assistance, say, hey, we need help with this. And some judges may step in and say, yeah, we're going to let the child get the shot, you know, based on maybe what doctors are brought in or something, which I think is contrary to substantial change in circumstances analysis when you want to modify a court order. I foresee that happening as well. Oh, yeah, I definitely think so. So it's always like, you know, know your judges. Pretty fortunate. We've got a lot of amazing judges around here. I obviously, I'm not licensed in South Carolina. But Great I, but judges I, in South Carolina as well. Know, but it'll be interesting to see. That's as far as I've gotten with phone calls about COVID and so forth and virtual learning. And, and it's tough because, you know, people call lawyers and they want an answer. Regrettably, we can't always give them this, this bright line rule, this definitive position. It's always like, it's rarely a, 
a certainty. In fact, we're really not allowed to do that. No, so, I mean, well, none of us anticipated yeah. this happening or this lasting as long as it has. I mean, when it first started in March, we were like, okay, we just got to make it till April 30th. And here we are in December at the end of the year and we're still in it. Because I was thinking as I was driving into the office today, like mentally preparing to do this podcast, I was like, I hope at the end of this podcast, it's not like, well, that wasn't helpful, right? For somebody that was listening to it. But honestly, everything that we do in law, one of the first things attorneys probably say when a scenario is presented to them is, well, it depends. Because what else is going on? Maybe what am I not aware of? And you have to go through this, this full analysis. And then we're not talking about legalities. We're talking about the factual side of a case. You know, how much of it is sufficient enough to be able to do something with? And then that plays into who is your judge and all that sort of stuff. And definitely follow the court order. You could be held in contempt. I mean, that's that's almost a certainty, right? Unless you've got very good reasons that are you know, subject to some type of emergency grounds in all likelihood. Otherwise, keep doing the exchanges, talk to, every, you know, talk to the other parent and kind of get that nailed down if changes need to be happening. And if you're attempting to try to modify custody based on COVID, have a conversation with your attorney because there needs to probably be more than that, especially if we're talking about moving out of a school district or out of a county. So to that extent, you're getting into relocation matters and then the vaccination, it really goes back to legal custody, which then goes back to the court order. And what does the court order say? And that's kind of where we're at. And we'll find out more as we go through it. I'm sure there's going to be appeals. If people think they get the, the short end, they'll file an appeal and then the court of appeals gets to deal with it. And it'll be, see, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I think the legal custody side is where we're going to see more questions being raised rather than... Right, especially now. Because people have been in this since March. So they kind of know what's going on with the physical Mm -hmm. custody. And if you haven't figured it out by now, I mean, you really need to. Communication is key to dealing with this because it is unprecedented. And these court orders don't take into consideration a global pandemic. But it's interesting. Now our court orders are, right? Like these temporary orders that I'm drafting are like, and you must comply with the CDC guidelines mm-hmm. and do your best to, you know, so you can start putting all that stuff in these new temporary orders. But anything before March of 2020, no, it's not ever going to be something that we, we would have thought to put into these court orders. So anyway, but it's been interesting and we're rolling into the holidays. So I'll just remind everybody to follow the exchange requirements of your court order during the holidays. Because that does happen uh, probably every year. Somebody tries to attempt to change the custodial arrangement around the holidays for some reason. That doesn't typically play over well with really any judge unless there's good grounds. And right now, COVID is not one of them unless you've got valid concerns. The one question, have you gotten this one? The other parent tested positive for COVID. What do I do? Right. And I've been getting that one even as of yesterday. I know how I've been handling. I'm curious to see what you're saying to your North Carolina clients and your South Carolina clients. Maybe it just change, depends, but. Yeah, I mean, if someone tests positive, I think that you immediately need to test the child. I think that's the safest way because you don't want to send a child potentially that has COVID into another parent's home, especially if there's other parties involved. So I would say communicate with your spouse, ex-spouse, get the child tested and then go from there. Yeah. I think like, been dealing with it. I think I try to look at how the custodial arrangement is. So if you have like a week on week off or, you know, something that's in longer duration. And, and if so, if the child has been with you and you test positive, there's a chance obviously that the child tests positive. So before you return the child to mom or dad, call and let them know, I just tested positive. I'm going to get baby Jim tested and see what happens. I'll let you know. And then hopefully the other parent still goes and gets tested because seven days is still inside that 10 to 14 day window we're talking about. If the other parent comes back negative, you may want to consider like, well, 
should we exchange the child, right? And then that for me, it's what I've said is, well, how are you feeling? If you're not able to care for yourself, then the child shouldn't be in your house. Like that's a no brainer, right? But if you're otherwise, I don't want to say asymptomatic, but you just feel tired, you're still working remote or whatever might be going on, then it might be a good idea to have a conversation about not exchanging the child until everyone's symptom free and has one or two Mm -hmm. negative tests. Because like to your point was, you don't want to then take this, your amazing little child that turns into a virus vehicle and then, then take them over to the other house and then they get other people sick or the other kids sick or a grandparent that might live with that, that person. So you really want to take all that into consideration. So try to stay ahead of that as best you can and have, have a good conversation about it. But, but then you may have the situations where you have like a 4-3 schedule that rotates or 5-2, something to that effect where there's limited shorter bursts of time. I mean, at that point, probably everyone's been somehow touched the COVID and everyone just needs to get tested and just absolutely just talk about it. But yeah, that's, that's the one that's been coming at most recently. Like I said, as of even as of yesterday, so that's, that's a tough one. It that's, definitely is. That's, that's a tough one. Well, it sounds like it's somewhat consistent between South Carolina and North Carolina. Yes, it has been. I mean, we're all dealing with the same set of facts here. We're just trying to figure out how to navigate them. Hopefully 2021 will be more awesome than 2020. I don't know how else to say it. These masks, I feel like I'm suffocating in them when I'm wearing them. And I know that it's an inconvenience, but I'm glad to see most people are, are doing this uh, to the best that they can. But yeah, I'm ready for, ready for something new. Even Thanksgiving was a little different. Oh, yeah. I think everyone's right. just trying to power through. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been fun. Until next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Protect What's Yours. For more information on our firm and our practice areas, visit us at yourncattorney.com and we'll have one of our experienced team members reach out to you and help guide you through your upcoming legal process. That's yourncattorney.com. The insights and views presented in Protect What's Yours are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. The information presented is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney, nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. If you're ready to protect what's yours, contact Marcelino and Tyson today.